0: Welcome to Best Me Radio. I'm your host, Carl Hammington, and I talk to experts in many areas, including movement, psychology, nutrition, as well as other inspiring people who have done extraordinary things, all in an attempt to provide you with the information, inspiration, and tools that will empower you to step into the best version of yourself. Welcome back to Best Me Radio, and today we have a very exciting and wise guest. Um, I feel like he's lived many lives and almost lost his life on more than one occasion as well um, which he'll talk us through so a catastrophic events left him basically dying under tons of concrete his lung punctured uh, spine fractured in five places leaving his body numb from the waist down and he talks through uh, the death process and basically um, what emotions came up what thoughts came up and basically as he took his last breath a miracle occurred So I'm talking with a leadership coach and former outdoor adventure guide um, about resilience. Uh, We explore the tools he's picked up through his experiences and the techniques he's learned along the way Uh, in terms of the the neuroscience and some of the physiology um, and the psychology around the subject. And we go into um, some steps on how we can become a more resilient human. Anyway, please enjoy this one. This cannot not influence you. Um, it's powerful and it's led me to, to think about uh, many questions. So for example, um, you know, if I was to die today, how would I feel about my life right now? Have I delivered on the things that, uh, really mean a lot to me and what I've told myself? Have I said the things I wanted to say to the people that I love and people that I care about? Am I making time and am I finding reasons to do the things that I want to do? um these are just some of them and then there's a whole lot of tools that i've started implementing um as a result of listening to this interview so i really hope that you get as much as i did out of this um please enjoy
1: awesome well um thanks, thanks very much for listening, for listening. so allow uh, me to um to just quickly introduce myself my name is mel Winnie and uh, i live in uh, wellington new zealand in the capital of new zealand and um from here, I run a business, uh, and that business specialises in the area of creating high-performance environments. So we work across uh, several sectors. One is high-performance sport, uh, and the other is across organisations in that space. And so with high-performance sports, uh, our main focus is in the area of developing mental skills, or what we might refer to as mental fitness, which we now know is such a huge part of um, the overall outcome of. Of sports. And within organisations, in terms of high performance, we focus our attention into two key areas. One is on leadership. Uh, again, all the research is very clear that uh, leaders have a huge impact on the productivity, performance, and engagement of their people in an organisation. And then, secondly, really on um, health and wellness and coping skills for uh, people in organisations so that they can perform to the optimum at really sustainable levels. Um, So outside of that, I work as a coach, uh, one-on-one, I coach people in several areas, one is leadership coaching, Uh, another area is uh, transformational coaching, and the third area that I probably describe as what we might call therapeutic coaching. Uh, So I guess I can say I've had two careers in my life really quickly, Uh, one is uh, being in business and working in this space, and my previous career, the career that I had for the first 15 years was uh, as a professional outdoor adventure guide. Uh, they sound really different careers, but in fact, there's many, many similarities between them. And uh, today we're going to be talking about resilience. And hands down for me, uh, as a professional outdoor adventure guide, as someone that recreated in the outdoors, climbing, hiking around the world, um, I learned far more about myself, about my strengths and about um, my personal resilience in those environments uh, than I ever did uh, probably dressed in a business suit going to work in organisations every
0: day. Yeah, for sure. Um, thanks for coming on, Mel. And uh, for those of you who don't know Mel, uh, Mel, is, he, he seems like he's lived many lives. Um, <laughs> I think, Mel, uh, you know, you've come about as close to, to death as you possibly can come. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Several <I> think,
2: times.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, one, one moment that you've told me about uh, stands out in particular. Um, would you be able to share that story with the listeners? I think it's so powerful. Oh, That's sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no problem, problem at all. Uh, so it was a uh, uh, experience I had just on 13 years ago, actually. So, um, you know, I'd been working in the outdoors. My career was professionally guiding in the outdoors. It was, um, I think, I'd just done my ninth or tenth summer in a row. So I'd do summers in New Zealand, then I'd follow uh, those up with summers in the Northern Hemisphere. So life was really good. Uh, I was loving it, and I'd just come home to New Zealand. So I'd been home for a couple of weeks, uh, and uh, long story short, I was doing a home DIY project. Uh, and so we were turning an old concrete shed into a home entertainment centre. One of the jobs that it was required to do um, to complete that was to bring down all the old internal concrete walls. And um, unbeknownst to me at the time, there was some serious weaknesses in those concrete walls. They hadn't been reinforced correctly. And um, unfortunately for myself, when I was working there one day by myself, one of those walls collapsed and uh, fell on top of me. Um, And so that was a concrete wall that weighed in excess of half a tonne. uh, It came straight on top of me really. Um, So it was a really frightening experience uh, for me. Um, It's really hard to explain in words, in fact, I don't think I'll ever be able to explain in words what it's like to feel like you've been crushed to death. The the pain was excruciating Hmm. Uh, and so for about the first minute and a half of that experience, I tried with all of my might, my willpower, my strength to get out from underneath that wall, and I, I realised that I couldn't. I, I, I couldn't move really any part of my body, and it was probably at that point, Carl, that I realised I was going to die. Mm. Um, and uh, that was kind of a frightening experience for me, um, and I remember really clearly to this day all the emotions that I went through um, from that experience. So the um, first time for me was anger, and I was uh, – Only in my mid-30s and I didn't want to die, I wasn't expecting to die that day and um, I was pretty angry about the fact that uh, that was going to be my last experience on the planet. Uh, That was followed up by um, some sadness, I hadn't said goodbye to my partner that morning, I hadn't told some people in my life um, the things that I wanted to tell them, Uh, I hadn't told my parents how grateful I was for all the things they'd done for me in my life and I realised I wasn't going to get the opportunity to do that. And uh that really created some sadness for me mm-hmm. um, the The third was uh the third was probably one of the more scary ones, and that was uh, regret so i'd done a lot with my life on that to that day, you know, and there were some things on that day that I realized I' would always thought up in my life that I was going to do one day, some day or another day, and what I realized in that moment was one day, some day, or another day were never going to come around and uh I had huge regret about that look long story short um. I somehow survived that. About a minute after that, the wall broke for a second time and partially rolled off me. And um, what I didn't escape, though, was really serious injury. So uh, as a result of that accident, I ended up um, puncturing my lung and also um, breaking my spine in five places. So um, I broke my my back in four places, twice through my lumbar spine, uh, twice through my thoracic spine. And also broke my neck uh, through my C7. So uh, it was a moment of sheer elation knowing that I was going to live, followed up uh, very quickly by the realisation that um, I'd done some serious damage to myself. And um, there was a lot of uncertainty around what that meant for me and what that was going to do to my life.
0: Wow, so powerful. Um, I mean, yeah, I can't imagine, uh, you, you can't imagine what you would have gone through there and you know, I'd like to say I can, you know, I can understand, but I can't. Um, but what you got was a little insight and, you know, you got some really valuable information. And I feel like you've done a lot with that information. Um, from that experience, what do you think the biggest uh, learning points were?
1: Oh, I mean, there's a number of really big learning points for me in terms of that particular experience. Uh, you know, the first is, um, to do the things that you want to do in your life Carl, to make time for them and um you know it's really easy in life when we have things that we want to do to find the reasons why not to do it Uh, and in fact you know what we know through neuroscience is that um that's the way our brains hardwired you know it will easily throw up those reasons and i think one of the things that i've learned is to try and counteract that by finding the reasons why why i should why i must and why i have to now as opposed to why i can't and why i shouldn't
2: yeah
0: um, so and so, what was that? Just just reframing that that uh that language internal dialogue.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Look, life's really short, isn't it? And um, it's a horrible feeling when you know that you're about to um, take your last breaths. And uh, you know, if I had died that day, I would have died uh, with regrets, and that's that's not a nice feeling. It was a terrible feeling um, on that particular day. Yeah. And so for me, you know, metaphorically speaking, the next time I'm lying under a brick wall, so to speak, um, I, I won't have regrets. And that doesn't mean I'm going to do all of the things that I set out to do in my life. Yeah. Uh, but what it does mean is that, um, from that point forward, I'm going to find the reasons why I should do the things and then I'm going to make the time for it. And uh, that's something that I've been really committed to, uh, ever since that accident. Yeah. I think the other thing that's, um, I've come away from with that is, uh, um to say the things that are important to say in your life, you know, uh, like I said on that particular day, I probably hadn't told people in my life how much I appreciated them, how much I was grateful for the things they've done for me. And, um, you know, I, I make a point of doing that now. And uh, I think that that's really important.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. What, why do you think um, that most people don't do those things, don't say those things or um and we'll find those excuses not to do things. I know you said we're hardwired too, but do you think there's other factors at play here?
1: Oh yeah, I, I do. I, I think, think um, there's a number of things. Like totally, we're hardwired. You know, we'll talk about that later. But you know, the negativity bias is a very strong bias. It's um, in our brain, um, so it's very easy to find why we why we can't and why we shouldn't. Yeah. But I think um, on top of that is uh, societal expectations that we. Um, that we've kind of placed pressure on ourselves to meet, you know, like I can't do this because I need yeah. to buy a house or I can't do this because I need the latest uh, iPhone or I can't yeah. do this. And um, uh, I think perhaps that sometimes that actually takes us away from the things that are most important in our life and the things that really bring us that joy and satisfaction. Yeah. Uh, I think there's probably also, Carla, an element of, um, of this won't happen to me, you know, um, and to be fair, that was probably part of my mindset before my accident. You know, when I woke up that day and went to work, I, I never, never in my wildest dreams did I expect that to potentially be my last day on this planet.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and so it's probably easy to go through life with that short-term focus um, and to potentially not say the things that you want to say or do the things that you want to do by justifying it in your head by saying, I'll do it one day, Sunday or another day, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess it comes down for me now to that kind of old saying of carpe diem, you know, seize the day, seize the moment. Mm. And um, that, that's, I think, a really powerful lesson for me. That's brilliant.
0: Now, um, we are here to talk about resilience today. Yeah. Um, and, and from what, what moments in your life do you think, I mean, obviously this is one of them, have uh created the most resilience within you um or what has made you a more resilient human being yeah so um <laughs> it's a stellar question really <laughs> uh
1: oh lots of things look um so if i, if I plot to my own life like i grew up in a family i was the youngest of six kids uh and uh, so right from my early childhood um i had to find ways to kind and of adapt yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, being the youngest of uh, six kids, you know, two older brothers, and uh, you know, to be fair, whenever they got bored, um, I was probably the easy beat, the path of least resistance <laughs> that they would take take that stuff out on. So, I did very quickly find ways. Uh, in fact, my goal in life as a kid was to keep them busy so they didn't get bored. <laughs> uh, um, and so that that was a big part of I think helping me. Um, you know, I also uh, played a lot of sport and I was really sporty yeah. uh, and I think that taught me some really good coping mechanisms in life. It taught me how to both win well and, and lose well, you know, it taught me how to fail and I think that that's a really important lesson in life. Mm. I think, you know, in order to develop resiliency we need to change our relationship with that, with that idea of failure. I agree.
2: Um,
1: I, I think uh, the other things that really helped me in terms of that were, um, you know, I went through adversity early on in my life. um, I uh, lost my best friend at the age of 15. Um, He was there one day and he was uh, gone the next. Mm. And um, so I think, you know, going through those adversities like that um, made me stronger. It it helped me to find coping mechanisms that um, were really beneficial for myself later on in life. And I think the other thing, Carl, really, and it's one thing that I'm really passionate about and, and we'll talk about is this idea of um, seeking out adversity. You know, like, so I think one of the things that really helped me is my career in the outdoors. Um, and, um, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot to be said for that because it, it does a number of things for you in terms of building that resiliency. Um, when you find that voluntary adversity or voluntary challenge in your life, uh, it helps you to find ways to deal with this, with stress and, you know, I say to people all the time that I learned far, far more about myself as a human being, about my strengths, about my resiliency mechanisms and my coping mechanisms. When I was 500 feet off the ground uh, on a rock face, uh, stuck, not sure where to go next, uh, than i ever have dressed in a business suit sitting at a boardroom table. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you're not thinking of other things then, are you? No, absolutely not. No, <laughs> it's the ultimate about, mindful practice. Yeah, it is. Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. It is. No, and and um, you can't quit when you're 500 <laughs> feet up. You, you've got to find a way to get <laughs> over, round or through what's yeah. coming next. And you know, I think that's a really healthy thing. I, I think um, that uh, one of the dangers is to not have that in your life, to not have... Yeah. Um,
0: uh, challenge in your life. Do, do you think? I mean, this is going a little bit abstract, but our world is set up around convenience now and comfort. Um, do you think that these conveniences and comforts, um, you know, do make us less resilient humans? And as a side effect, do you think this is contributing possible, possibly, to more uh, mental health issues? The growing uh, mental health issues, at least within New Zealand.
1: Oh, yeah, look, absolutely I do. And there's also a lot of research to back that up as well when you look at that. Um, so, you know, I think um, one of the worst things that we could ever do if we want to develop resiliency is um, to stay in our comfort zones all our life.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, that's a surefire way of not developing strength and not developing more power and not developing resiliency. Yeah. Uh, to take the path of least resistance and to do what's familiar all the time. Uh, and the reason for that is because, you know, adversity in life is a given. Um, it's not a matter of if you experience adversity, it's a matter of when you experience it and how often you experience it. Yeah. So trying to avoid that stuff is counteractive, really. So, um, yeah, I, I do believe that that has played a part of it. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I think the other part that's really contributed to that um is potentially that you know the reality is we live in a very different world today right yeah and we live in a world that is uh exponentially speeding up and changing and um that's a challenge because people's ability to cope and manage with that is becoming less and less expectations are rising and um as a result i think that's also driving the the mental uh health stats And, and you no, know, we know a lot about it today. You know, yeah. we've got a lot of information. And so the reality is that those stats should be dropping, but they're not Carl, they're still yep. rising. Yeah. That suggests to me is that what we're doing isn't probably working that well at the
0: moment. Yeah. No, I can't agree more. Um, let's take a little step back and uh let's actually let's have your definition of what resilience actually is. So, yeah, what do you believe to be resilience? How would you define it? Oh yeah, look, I'll keep it pretty simple. Uh, so say so resilience is the process of adapting.
1: Um, it's adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, um, or significant sources of stress. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I really like I really like the definition that positive psychology, or the terminology that positive psychology uses, which is it's bouncing forward from difficult experiences. And I like that much better than bouncing back from difficult experiences.
0: Nice.
1: Um, because the reality in life is that we want to move forward. Yeah. yeah? And um, We are, like I say, we are going to go through adversity. That's a given. Um, and so what isn't, what isn't the given is how we, how we respond to that adversity, how we adapt to that adversity. Um, and you know, the, the research on resiliency now is, is really overwhelming and really clear and, uh, you know, that I think we often talk about resiliency as a, as a thing that's frozen. Yeah, um, but but the reality is, resiliency is a process, and it's a process over time.
2: Yeah,
1: and you know when we talk about this stuff, I don't think there's particularly a silver bullet here. Um, and and I use the analogy of you know as a outdoors guy, um, one of the things that I really enjoyed was mountaineering, and uh, you know you you don't necessarily do mountaineering for fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's, sometimes it's not a lot of fun. You know, you're getting up at twelve o'clock at night. That's uh, minus twelve degrees outside. Yeah. Uh, you're sleeping in a tent. You're slightly hypothermic. Uh, you know, you're, you're not necessarily having the greatest time of your life. Uh, and um, but there's a bigger purpose to it, you know, and that is that you get to the top of a mountain. You get to experience something that not many people do. Yeah. But but mountaineering is often that process of um, three steps forward and one or two back. And um, I think that's a really useful analogy for resiliency. You know, um, often it's that process of um, three steps forward and one or two steps back. But the good thing about that is that if you do that equation, it means you're still moving forward in life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I
0: like that. It's a really nice yeah. way of finding it. And,
1: look, I think the word adapting is really key in that. Uh, and, you know, we've got to find ways to adapt. And um, you know, I, I just go back to the, to the definition of insanity, Carl, you know, it's the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Yeah. And, and so, if you don't, if you're not getting the results that you want in life, um, you're not getting the outcomes that you set out to do, then what that suggests to me is that we've got to do something different. We've got to be able to adapt to that
0: situation to get a better outcome.
2: 100%.
0: Yeah. I mean, put more simply, if nothing changes, nothing changes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Totally. totally. Now, now yeah. I know um, you know resilience can come in many different forms. Um, yeah. What are the different types of uh, resilience and how might they present themselves?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, well, we use the definitions um, from positive psychology. Uh, it's an area that um, I really align with. So firstly, we talk about the idea of physical resiliency and um, physical resiliency i guess in many ways refers to our physical toughness or our physical tempering Um, and uh, it's probably not so much about our ability to sustain um, pressure and stress but rather our ability to recover and recharge and so uh, in many ways it's about our metabolic energy Mm. and um, so there's probably three major components to our physical resiliency um, and that would be um, physical fitness, uh, we, we know that that has a tremendous impact in terms of our overall health and wellness, yep. uh, it's our nutrition, and uh, this is a particular area of neuroscience that I'm really passionate about uh, in terms of um, working more with the gut, and I believe that you did an interview with Grant Susalu, Carl, yep. way back, who's a good friend of mine as well, and mm-hmm. you know the work that he's doing around that now and on the gut brain is just phenomenal. You know? yep in terms of that and um, so you know turns out that our gut is more than just a bit it's a complex adaptive neural network so what we put into that is incredibly important yeah and it's
0: about sorry music to my ears
2: yeah
1: (laughs) yeah
0: look and thirdly it's about
1: sleep and rest yeah so ability and so my analogy for that is we probably all have a cell phone uh and uh, if you're anything like me Every night I plug that in and recharge that cell phone, um, and uh, our physical resiliency refers to the same. How can we recharge ourselves? How can we bring ourselves back so we're operating from an optimum level?
2: Yeah.
1: The second part to it is what we refer to as mental resiliency, and um, we, we do a bit of work in or a bit of work in high-performance sport in this space, and so um, sometimes the way that they refer to it is about mental fitness. Um, and that's about adapting and promoting our mental processes, yep, that, that are kind of helpful for us to move forward resourcefully. Um, and so we're probably all aware that we talk to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have an internal dialogue uh, and um, we all have conversations with ourselves on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and I say to people all the time, hands down, the most important conversations you'll ever have with anyone in your life are the conversations you have with yourself inside your own head. Yep. And so mental resiliency is about learning to tell ourselves better stories. It's about learning to have a better internal dialogue with ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's about learning to create more useful meaning to events that happen in our life. And when we create more useful meaning to those events that happen in our life, we respond to them more resourcefully. Um, And so that's a really important thing. Yeah. Yep. The third area is emotional resiliency and uh, that kind of, kind of covers the area of our ability to access positive emotions when we need them yeah so mm-hmm. by positive emotions i mean things like optimism curiosity joy uh satisfaction uh compassion empathy all of those kinds of emotions Yep. um and so it's really about being able to get out of your head and you know as you know and we, li- we live in a very head-based world yeah uh and so the unfortunate part about that is a lot of people struggle to connect back into their hearts and emotional resiliency is really the process of doing that, um, but it's not just about experiencing positive emotions or having positive experiences. We also have to learn to be in those positive emotions and be in those positive experiences, which is a fundamentally different thing from just having them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh so that's learning ways to override that negativity bias inside of our brains yeah
0: do you think it's important to stay in those uh negative emotions sometimes or is that not a place you want to stay with for too long
1: oh look of course i mean there's times when you want to be angry and upset and (laughs) yeah Uh, and so uh but there's there's a time when you need to let go of that as well yeah yeah and um you know all we know in terms of that is you know there's an a, a law in a neuroscience called Hebb's law: neurons that wire together fire together. Yeah, yeah. So um, the longer we stay in those negative experiences and those negative emotions, the more power we give those neurons to fire and wire together. So we create those very strong neural pathways. Yeah. Um. So yes, there is, and um, probably not for as long as we think we need to.
0: Yeah. 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 No, that's a great answer. Um, I just thought that was really uh, you know, interesting point to make. And, you know, the the nerves that fly together, wire together, that can be applied to everything. I always apply that to biomechanics and movement too. So you go, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So the fourth area we talk about is social resilience. And um, so by kind of social resilience, you know, we are designed it as to be a social species. We're designed to um, be around other people. And what we know is that we work, think, and excel as groups and teams as well as individuals, you know. So we're designed to have personal contact with other people. And um, so what we're not designed to do is spend vast amounts of time on our own in isolation. Mm. So I think social resiliency is a really important aspect of, you know, who are the people in my life who I have that social contact with, who I can connect with. And I think one of the dangers of living in today's world, particularly in a world driven by social media, is we're losing that connection with other human beings. Maybe. um yeah so uh you know that doesn't just have physical impacts on us but uh, you know there's uh neurochemical impacts as well in terms of some of the stuff that we're not getting
0: you know like oxytocin and yeah. other areas like that that's more of a dopamine hit isn't it it's like a fizzy high versus a you know a more of a sustaining uh hippies. yeah
2: well
1: that's right and you know we do live Very, very busy lives today. And that doesn't mean that we live productive lives or healthy lives. No. But we live very busy lives. And one of the, uh, I guess, downsides of that is, you know, that stress and what's related to stress is uh, spikes in cortisol. 100%. And and then we also know, again, through neuroscience, that out of all of the neurochemicals, that probably has the longest shelf life in our body, up to 24 hours. And one of the antidotes to that is oxytocin, you know, and that is being around other people, connecting with other people. So it's it's a really important aspect Even of our physically life.
0: physically connecting with other people, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. very much so, yeah. yeah. and I mean, the last can year, be in many forms. What was that, Carl? That physical connection that can obviously be in many forms.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. And so, as um, you know, uh, lastly, we talk about the era of spiritual resiliency, and um, so by that we don't mean religious, although for some people it is. What we mean by that is just simply um, having meaning and purpose in life. Um, mm. your, your sense of self, your sense of purpose, um, and connecting into the things that are important to you and your values in life, Yeah, yeah. and uh, again, I think that's a really important aspect. They say there's two really important days in your life, uh, that is the day you're born, <laughs> <laughs> and in the day you work out while you were born.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's powerful. Yeah,
1: and that's different things for different people, Which is what I love about this whole topic: is that it's different strokes for different folks. It's a very personal thing. Yeah. Um, so different people connect into different values, different meanings, different purposes.
2: Yeah.
0: Do you see in individuals, um, you know, quite like a different weighting on each of these uh, areas of resilience?
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. and it's like anything, you know, it's, we have strengths and we have non-strengths in yeah. terms of that, uh, and, you know, I kind of think about it from a systems theory approach, from a s- systemic approach, and that is, you know, you cannot not influence, so
2: yeah.
1: by working on one, we kind of work on all of them to yeah. a degree, because yeah. uh, you cannot not influence, but yeah, you know, some people will be far more mentally resilient, Um then emotionally, for example, uh, some people will put a huge emphasis on physical resiliency. Yeah. Uh, but there's definitely overlaps uh, between all of those definitely. as well. Definitely.
2: I mean, yeah. I think
0: about what you talked about before, hanging off the side of a, a cliff face. You know, you've got the physical resilience yep. there, your, your physical endurance, and probably um, your resilience to the, you know, the different climates as well. Um, yes. And that cannot not get into the emotional side. If you're in a risky situation, You'd have yep. to assess that and realize that you know negative emotions at that stage is probably not going to be uh, serving you very well. That's um, right. Which is obviously going to get you into the you know the, the right mental space. Yes. Um, I don't know too much about the social, but I guess you're relying on people you trust deeply to to support you through that situation, like your B layers, for example, or um, exactly, your like our, buddies. Yeah, and then yeah. the spiritual side, um, knowing your meaning and purpose, will probably guide that whole situation to lead you to that
2: point yeah. anyway.
1: That's right. That's, you know, I couldn't couldn't have said it better in terms of that. So when you are in that environment, and that's why this is, I believe, such a fundamentally important part of developing and working on our resiliency is finding voluntary adversity, voluntary challenge in your life.
0: Mm, I like that.
1: Um, Because when, you know, for me, when I was 500 feet in the air on a rock face and um, I was stuck and I wasn't too sure where to go, I, I had to talk positively to myself. Um, I had to find solutions. There was no option, mm. uh, you know. And, and whatever was there, I had to breathe some of that uh, negative uh, fear out, you know, in terms of that. Yeah. So it really helps you reframe in terms of that. And I think what that does, what voluntary adversity or voluntary challenge does, is a number of things. It it, it teaches you lessons. It teaches you coping mechanisms, yeah, and that can only be a really healthy thing for other areas of our life, you know, and there's so many times in my life where I've um, experienced trauma or adversity and I've, I've related back to those times and thought about, hey, so what did I do there that helped? What, yeah. How did I talk to myself in those moments that helped? Um, and, and that's, um, so that's very transferable in, in that kind of experience. Yeah, I agree. I, mean, I I think, because voluntary adversity can be anything, yeah, it doesn't yeah. have to be someone going into the outdoors, it could be, you know,
0: going, doing anything that's Public outside speaking. of your comfort zone, that's Public right. speaking can be a big one for a lot of people. Yeah. Me, it must that's for
2: sure.
1: Yeah, well, that's right, it's one of the biggest yeah. ideas in the world, um, and so it also teaches us that actually our, our fears are often just perceived, you know, not really real, and And we we can can overcome those things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I agree. Um, I love that formula. It's um, it's come up before on the podcast actually. It's um, pain plus reflection equals growth. Um, Yeah. And I think that second step reflection is where um, I I think that needs to be uh, highlighted because if you don't have that reflection process, you're more likely to repeat it, um, in my opinion. You're being on, Carl. You know, being on. Um, So –
1: uh, the reflection piece is a really important piece, and you know I work across New Zealand, uh, and so I meet a lot of people in a lot of different contexts. And you know the most common response to the question now of "How are you?" is "I'm so busy." Yeah, yeah, and um, uh, people wear it like a name badge. They, they, they say something. Like yeah, yeah, it is, it is, absolutely, and um, it's like an expectation that I have to say, and particularly in organisations. If I don't tell my boss I'm really busy, they'll give me more work to keep me busy, kind of thing. Mm. Uh, and w- what that busyness means is that we have lost uh, the ability to, not the ability, but we've lost the capacity to self reflect. Yeah. And self reflection is really important because um, pain without that self reflection is going to equal the same pain. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I often think about that example of you know people would often say why does this always happen to me hmm. and there's a very clear reason why things will always happen and that's because our, our brain loves habits yeah. Yeah. Um, our, and so we, we don't just have habits for our behaviors we also have habits for our thinking patterns we have habitual thinking patterns and we also have habitual emotional responses to situations and so when you put all of those three together, habitual thinking patterns plus habitual emotional responses plus habitual behaviours, they equal habitual outcomes. Yeah. And so we need self reflection time to go where where am I going well and where am I not going well? Where do I want things to be different and what do I need to personally do to make that different?
0: Yeah. I think you brought up a really interesting point before about you know, our, our life today, in my opinion, is, you know, full of stressors. Or the the amount of stressors um, around us in today's world is so much greater. I think than than human history. You know, we've yep. got stimulus from many different sources. You know, right down to yep. you know chemical stressors. So yes. it, I think it becomes a lot harder um, with these um, the, the, this this multitude of um, input to actually self reflect. So it has to be a really really conscious dedicated um process do you agree oh absolutely
1: there's again lots of ways to find um to not do it and um you know i think life will always throw noise at us it will always throw things to do and busyness at us so absolutely we need to be will it be helpful to be more intentional about that uh I, i know that's something that i've definitely brought into my life um, I'm a lot more intentional about um, my self-reflection time. I'll do it on a weekly, monthly basis. Uh, I'll remove myself and put myself in specific environments to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's a really important part of uh, of not just life but a health and wellness cup.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree yeah. 100%. Yeah. How could they not affect your health and wellness, you know? It's, uh, yeah. It's massive.
1: Yeah. I Think the other thing is to also, you know, there's not just self reflection, but there's the ability to get external feedback as well, yeah, from others around that because often people can see things that we can't that might be really useful.
0: No, 100%. And that's that, that comes down to having the willingness to be vulnerable as well, yeah, that's right, which can be scary, yeah, oh, it's it's um scary for a number
1: of people, and um, I think again. It's something that potentially needs to be reframed you know we've often i think society's sort of vulnerability as a weakness yeah and um you know to be vulnerable takes an incredible amount of courage
2: yeah
1: and uh courage says to me that that um it's not a weakness it's a strength so being vulnerable is a strength i 100 percent agree yeah I and I think, I think it's
0: in male population especially in New Zealand.
1: Yeah, and I, I think um, again, it's about education. Like it's learning how to be vulnerable, Carl, yeah. and who to be vulnerable with. Because um, you can be vulnerable in certain situations and not not necessarily do yourself uh, yeah. any good. Yeah. So, so it's I, I think it's learning how to be vulnerable, who to be vulnerable to. The context is really important as well. Um, but you know that's important stuff, and I, I really admire the work of people like Brené Brown and those people around the world who are kind of yeah. bringing that out and talking about that.
0: I agree. Um, so all of these things affect each other in, in, uh, in reality.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, like we said, you cannot not affect um, yeah. each category or each area. Yeah. And, you know, we know, for example, the more physically resilient you are, the clearer you can think mentally. Yeah. Uh, and not just the clearer you can think, but uh, the faster you can think yeah. Um and so that's, that's, you know, for example, the U.S. Army over the last decade have put a huge amount of time, energy, and resource into physical resiliency for their uh, soldiers. And um, what they're seeing now in terms of those results a decade on is quite astounding. Like this, uh, one, one stat I saw was a drop of post-traumatic stress disorder by 28% uh, in the field yet. Yeah. Well. Wow. as as a direct result of that physical resiliency program or that physical toughness program, so that,
0: that answers that question that we spoke about before. You know that that carry over into um, yes. other elements, into yeah. the, that mental yeah. health
2: side sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, fascinating. So, um, you know, what are the main mo- main environments uh, you deal with in terms of uh, resilience? You know, things I can think of uh, would be, you know, the outdoors for sure, uh, the work environment. I'm guessing you work with, or you do work with sports teams and yeah. relationships. What are the main sort of contexts you see uh, resilience training um, in terms of helping people, and where it's most applicable?
1: Oh, look, it's applicable in any any context of life. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, it's something that would be great to see more of a focus on, particularly in areas like schools and universities and things like that. And there's some really great work going on at the moment across New Zealand in that area. Where, where we focus our attention is within organisations uh, and, like you said, within high-performance sports environments. So um, we deliver uh, a number of um, interventions and programmes into organisations, and it's really hard to talk about resiliency without talking about stress or distress. Yeah. They're, they're kind of intimately linked. They go hand in hand. Um, and you know what we see now across New Zealand and organisations is really frightening. Uh, it's uh, you know, we see incredibly high levels of um, distress yeah. uh, we see uh, incredibly high levels of fatigue and exhaustion um, on a weekly basis we see that and uh, then eventually um, you know breakdown and burnout and um, yeah. it's kind of that analogy of uh, you know there's people driving that car down the motorway doing 140k an hour with the hand, handbrake jammed on you know it's, yeah. something's going to give eventually you can't you can't keep working like that you can't yeah. keep doing things like that yeah, yeah. it's
2: not going
1: to do um, so really well for long is it not at all not at all you yeah. know it's um and, and so i think i think certainly within organizations they're maturing now to, um uh, and be- becoming more mature and the recognition of that that yeah. you can't just Work people like that. It's a, it's unhealthy and B, it's also unethical. Yeah, I agree. Um, so so we do a lot of work in that space. And um, what I love about that, I'm re- really really passionate about that, um, is that it's a really personal thing for people. So they'll come along. People will have their their own stressors, uh, their own um, signs and symptoms, and so they get to develop their own personal action plan as a result of that. Um, which is really, really beneficial and useful.
0: Right.
1: And then uh, in the area of sports, we focus particularly in the area of mental fitness or mental mindset.
2: Yeah.
1: And so again, um, you know, we know that that's a hugely important part of our success in sport. And uh, a lot of those people, uh, the guys and girls that are involved in high-performance sport, deal with significant amounts of pressure. Yeah. Uh, and um, a lot of them don't necessarily have coping mechanisms for dealing mm. with that. You, and, but they can be small things and big things, yeah.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I think I've often said the mental side, I think, is often the difference between a, a great athlete and a good athlete. Um, I mean, there's so oh, many yeah. examples. You, I you see it everywhere,
1: don't you? Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I think about that—that um, the All Blacks' first World Cup win recently. I can't remember; it was eight years ago, yeah, twelve years ago, yeah. And um, you know, they were uh, on defense for about the last, you know, half an hour of the game, and yes. they still managed to hold their um, composure, and they finally managed to battle the way out of it. You know, that just to me, that was just an example of physical and mental resilience. You know, they managed to keep their composure and their emotional yeah. resilience because they didn't blow up and um, yeah. you know, lose their discipline. It was just such a great display of mental fortitude, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And more and more high-performance sport recognising that, mm. uh, seeing the need for developing that and uh, helping their people to develop those skill sets. Yep. Uh, you know, talent will only get you so far in life, and that's not necessarily talent as a sports person. That's talent in any environment. Yep. Uh, you know, talent will open the front door, Uh, uh, and mindset will be what gets you up the stairs to the top floor. Mm. And so um, helping people to deal with setbacks uh, in those environments is really, really useful. And if I think about the analogy that you just used, Carl, compare that to the 2007 loss of the World Cup when they went out in the quarterfinal to France. Yes, exactly. The only reason that they came back in 2011 and in 2015 is because – of the resiliency that they developed within that environment. Yeah. It just seems you know, so obvious,
2: a, you
0: know.
1: A classic example of being able to bounce forward and like
0: Yeah, oh, that's great. No, I, I can't agree more. Now, um, being a father, um, obviously resilience, you know, we talk about uh, you know, the nervous system and nerves that fire together, wire together. Um, yep. Being a father, having two young daughters, um, how can we go about creating Neuropenen, more resilient children?
1: Yes, that's a question true. again. Look, I'm not a parent, so um, uh, I'm I'm an uncle, and I've worked in that environment. Uh, I've worked with a lot of uh, kids and teenagers across New Zealand and other countries around the world, and I've also had access to my own nephews and nieces. So I think um, there's a number of things that uh, we can do. Uh, The first is um, to not wrap our kids in cotton wool. Yeah. And um, I I think that's. real danger and uh it's a disservice to your children to do that yeah you know kids need to experience adversity and it sounds weird but one of the paradoxes of resiliency uh is that it comes from adversity and uh that's 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 a paradox that's true for all of us uh that um we actually need to have adversity in our life uh and what I guess the other way of kind of um, saying that is the, the worst thing that can happen is to stay inside our comfort zones all of our life,
2: yeah
1: um, and to protect our children from those kinds of things so i I think uh, that's a really really important part of being able to do that mm. so helping your children to find ways to challenge themselves uh, I think another one is to um Help our kids, children, in terms of having a relationship with failure. Uh, I think we need to redefine that relationship. Uh, And uh, one of the things that prevents people often from stepping outside of their comfort zone and doing the things that challenge themselves and scare them a bit is that concept of failure.
0: That fear of failure can be crippling, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I think we have a really unhealthy relationship with the word failure. Uh, You know, I say to people all the time that, the more you fail, the more you'll succeed. Mm. And uh, you know, as a business owner, I've been in business for ten years. I, I can relate to that. You know, I've failed. I've failed on a number of occasions
2: yeah.
1: in business. Yeah. Um, I've also failed on a number of times in other contexts of my life. And yeah, we all, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but what we can do with that is learn from it. Um, we can grow from it. And um, you know. There's an area in positive psychology now called um, post-traumatic growth as opposed to post-traumatic stress disorder.
0: Oh, I like that. That's a nice little reframe. Yeah, yeah. And so post-traumatic growth
1: is about how when we go through adversity, uh, how that can help us. Yep. So from adversity, strengths can emerge. So, you know, strengths such as more compassion in life, greater appreciation of life, Uh, you know, a a healthier reprioritization of things in life, um, the desire to be of service to others, um, a stronger spirituality, all of that can emerge from adversity, from tragedy in life. So the reality is I think that the more we protect kids from that, the more that we um, prevent them from being able to develop those
0: strengths. I I agree. I can't agree more, you know. Um, We we normalise very quickly. Um yeah. so you if you almost want to up level, you've got to you've got to raise the bar in terms of the uh you know, the intensity of the environment, don't you? On a gradual in a gradual way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's about doing that sensibly, right? Not sensibly it's about,
0: exactly.
1: Yeah, it's um it's not about throwing someone in at the deep end and going sink or swim.
0: <laughs> that's uh, that's the story of my life. Yeah, yeah, well that's how it was done with me as well,
1: Carl. <laughs> yeah, luckily luckily I learned to swim. Yeah. But uh, there's a couple of occasions there
0: I almost sunk. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, one in particular. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I think think the other thing is um, helping our kids to overcome the negativity bias. And I know I've talked about this a bit, but it's such a powerful mechanism inside our brains. And so if if the listeners don't understand what the negativity bias is, really simply put, it's that we're hardwired to notice uh, the negative more than the positive in life. So in the absence of any form of positive stimulus, our brains will always notice the negative, the things that are going wrong, the things that could go wrong, the gaps, the threats, the dangers, etc. cetera. Uh, and when we do have two um, stimuluses together, one's positive, one's negative, again, we'll flip to the negative. And um, that's that's through evolution. You know, That's how our species survived. The only species that survived were the ones that noticed the threats, the dangers, the things that were going wrong, and the things that could go wrong. And the the species that didn't notice that, that noticed all the great things in life, are wiped off the face of the planet. They didn't live long enough to pass their genes on in the gene pool, so to speak. So, uh, whilst that might have been useful forty thousand years ago for our ancestors called the cave people, uh, it's probably not so useful for us today. Well, it's definitely not useful for us today.
0: And um, capacity, at least. Sorry. Not, not in terms of the same capacity, at least. Not at all. You
1: know, I mean, so much of the stuff today is perceived It's purely a perception. You know, 40,000 years ago, saber-toothed tigers were real and Neanderthal was real, you know, and those things could kill you. Today, being stuck in a traffic jam probably isn't going to kill you. Um, But we still react the same way. We still respond the same way. So I think um, that's a really important aspect as well, you know. So teaching our kids just basic stuff around how to have better internal dialogue with themselves because often the negativity bias is used best on ourselves. Yeah. You know, as, as people say, a lot of people are their own harshest critics in life. Mm. And uh, over a period of time, uh, that makes us less resilient. Yeah. So a really good example of that for me is a, um, a colleague who I work with and um, he tells a story about his son and his son was 15 who I know really well. And uh, he came home one day and asked his dad if he could talk to him. His dad said, yeah, of course, you know, he told him the story that he was being bullied at school. And, uh, so he, he, you know, his dad tells the story that his natural reaction was to jump in and save him, rescue his son, you know, like, no kid bullies my kid, so to speak. But he uh, he realised um, very quickly that that wouldn't be the best thing to do. Uh, and so what he did is he had a conversation with his son, yeah, yeah. and um Got a son to think about uh, what outcome he'd like, you know, when he goes to school, how he'd like to be um, treated. You got a son to think about uh, the options he had to achieve that outcome, uh, the things that he could do to turn that situation around. And basically, in a fifteen-minute conversation, coach his son to find solutions.
0: I like it. I like
1: it. That's, that, that can only be a really positive thing. Again, I you, know, you think about that for a number of reasons, that 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 kid is going to experience bullying again.
2: Yeah.
1: And next time they experience bullying, they've got some resources to be able to cope, they've got some strategies to be able to cope, and that strategy is not running to their parents, that strategy is internal things that they have yeah. or external things they can do behaviourally. The, the second part about that is it's huge for that child's self-esteem and self-belief, because they get to deal with that themselves and then they feel good about themselves. Yeah. So I think things like that are really important as parents. You know, don't save our children, help our children. Yeah, and I've observed all of those soulful. things.
0: You know, when I've taken those similar, you know, options, like I've just seen, team Brooke grow. You know, um, it's been yeah. really nice to watch, and, and it's so empowering for them.
1: Yeah, and you know, believe believe in your kids' ability and capability. You know, I, I don't I don't think anyone in life needs rescuing. Yeah. Um, what they need is just the ability to talk and to find. Ways through whatever's yeah. going on for That's them, and I come from ex- that place as a coach that
0: most of the time
1: people have the resources within themselves. It's just my job really to help people find those resources.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um Okay, so um, what, in your opinion, what does a resilient human look like? Oh wow, uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: a number of number of things. So you know, again, if we if we behaviourally model a resilient human being or resilient people, we see clear characteristics and traits say from someone who's non-resilient yeah. and there's a number of things that uh, the research will show us stand out uh, that resilient people demonstrate. Um, so one is uh, very clearly they have what we call an internal locus of control and what we, what we mean by that is that resilient people believe they can influence situations and experiences in their life so no matter what's going on, they, they believe that they can take actions that will change it. Uh, and I guess a way of looking at that is um, that they live their life at cause rather than at effect cut. Yeah.
2: Yep. Um,
1: so they're not at the effect of others or the effect of situations or the effect of events. They know that there's, no matter what's happened, there's things that they can do internally or externally to turn that around, to have an influence on that. Yeah. Uh, What else? Uh, We know that resilient people are uh, optimistic. Um, They believe that things will come right. They have um, a faith and hope in the future. Uh, And there's a number of ways that we can learn to be more optimistic. Uh, And that's not being unrealistically optimistic. That's being realistically optimistic. Yep, yep. You know, um, learning to laugh at ourselves, right? Yeah. Bringing in humour is a really good thing. It's uh, it's something that uh, is really important. So that's that's a, a really good sign of um, someone who might be resilient. We also know that they can adapt to change really quickly.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and so they have a number of ways to be able to do that. They're action orientated. Um, so resilient people will do what's necessary. They'll, they'll turn words into actions. Yeah. Um, one of the big ones is they have a real strong sense of meaningfulness and purpose in life. Mm. You know, and that's something that's just bigger than that. Yeah, you know, I think that's the beauty of finding that it's something that's bigger and greater than just you. Yeah. And that's really important, I think, when you're going through some level of adversity or dealing with a trauma or a tragedy yeah. that you can take the focus of yourself onto. And and again, you know, for people, that could be family, that could be children, um, or, or that could be something like the environment that you're really passionate about. It, it could be a number of things. Yeah. Um we talk about a concept called having protective factors and so we know that resilient people have what we call protective factors in place in their life and simply all that means is that um they know in their life what brings them joy, happiness, satisfaction and fulfillment, and then they make time in their life to do that.
2: Brilliant.
1: Uh and so what protective factors do in our life is a number of things. Um they buffer us from stress, they they act as a buffer. Uh When we do hit adversity, those protective factors will propel us up and over uh, that brick wall, so to speak, and help us get to the other side. Yep. And they also act as evidence that we're actually already resilient (laughs) because the reality is we're all resilient. We're born resilient, right? So it
0: reinforces that uh, neural network.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So if I I put that into perspective, say for the listeners, and I think about myself and my protective factors, there'll be different things for different people again. Uh, one is um, family. I'm really lucky that I'm close to my family. Uh, for other people, family is not a protective factor. It's a stressor. Yep. Uh, but, you know, I spend time with my family and things change in life. I put things into perspective. I calm down. I'm a different person. Yep.
2: Um,
1: another protective factor for me is the outdoors and adventure. And uh, so you know, if I find myself starting to wear down, um, Starting to become less resilient one day uh, in the outdoors, whether it be on my sea kayak in the ocean or going for a walk in the outdoors uh, again I come back and I'm a fundamentally different person
0: yeah, I can relate yeah
1: um, you know yoga' is another one for me so so it's not just having protective factors but it's actively putting them in place and making the time for them is a, a really key part of that
2: yeah
0: do you, do you know um off the top of your head Mel, if there's any correlation between you know measured resilience and you know, successfulness in careers or longevity and wellness
1: oh it's huge correlation yeah. yeah huge correlation and so um you know there's the work of uh dr Barbara Fredrickson, uh so uh who was um i guess a colleague of martin seligman's uh you know who's probably the the founding father of positive psychology.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, she's written a number of really great books. Uh, she talks about the three to one positivity ratio, which is a, a tremendously important ratio to have in life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so in her research, she shows very clearly that resiliency is linked to a uh, longer life, <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: uh, less physical ailments. Um, and um, there's both, uh, you know, there's, well, there's all sorts of research, including empirical evidence when you look at, say, successful people.
0: Yeah. I mean, it can um, be defined in many ways, I guess,
2: but...
1: Around it, yeah. Um, there's a tremendous amount of evidence in that. You know? yeah,
2: um, that makes sense. Yeah. It's brilliant.
0: Hey, um, Mel, so for the listeners, um, yeah. what could be some basic tools or techniques that you know, people could apply you know, now? Yeah, yeah, great, great,
1: great. I mean, that's what we're all about, really. Eh? Yeah. Theory's good, but theory's only theory, exactly. unless you can find practical applications yeah, exactly. for that theory.
2: <laughs>
1: so, uh, I think there's a number of things, um, and tell me when to stop talking, because this is, you know, I, I could go on for days and days about this stuff. <laughs> um, so, first and foremost, I think um, some self awareness is very really important around this. Uh, so, one of the things that listeners can do immediately is just start to think about, um, You know, stress is a process. It's not something you have. And we have to be very careful about the linguistics that we use or our language that we use in life.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, You know, often people say I'm stressed and they talk about it like it's something they own, something they have. The reality is it's not something you own or something you have. It's a process you go through.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, You know, you don't go down to the local supermarket and buy stress off the the supermarket shelf. or You you don't go into trade me and buy and sell stress. It's not something you own.
2: Yeah.
1: So I think one of the first things is to identify and think about what's your process of stressing, H- how do you do it, uh, and there will be different things for different people again. Yeah. Well, one of those is looking at what are your stressors in life, um, and you know, so what is it that, that are your triggers for that? Uh, and again, that can be different things in different contexts of life. That can be particular people. That could be particular pieces of work at work uh, that could yeah all all sorts of things and uh, inside of that i'd also encourage listeners to think about identifying their early warning signs of stress Mm. you know what are your early signs and symptoms and what that enables you to do is to be really proactive about that and put things in place early rather than being the ambulance at the bottom of the hill
0: that's a great point great point
1: yeah so you know, for me, examples, um, I'll find that uh, my sleeping starts to change. My sleeping patterns start to change. That's a really early warning sign for me that stress is building up. Yeah. Uh, and another one for me is uh, uh, I just become slightly less tolerant and
0: patient. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, you become more grumpy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And so and you know, I can catch myself now with that.
1: So that, yeah. that's really good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, mine. Mine would be more. I my physically manifest, so I get quite inflammatory. Yeah. So I So quite achy and sore.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So and for some people it's it pains. Yeah. Um,
0: for other people, it's rashes.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so so there's all sorts. So I think identifying that's really really good because then you can put mechanisms in place early on to be able to turn that around and change that. Yeah, that's great. Um. So other other things would be. Um. I, I think. Um. Without a doubt, you know, I love the work of um, Grant Susalu and the work that he's done by taking um, M-Brain or M-Bit around the world. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a fundamentally important piece of work. And one of the things that we talk about in that is the autonomic nervous system.
2: Yeah.
1: And you know, I'm not talking to you about anything you don't already know.
0: No, this is great. Uh, just, this has turned up so many times in terms of, of wellness. It's, it's great. <laughs> oh, look,
1: it, it, it's the bus that drives everything, you know, um, in terms of that and because we live such busy stressful lives what that means for so many people today is that their autonomic nervous system is in chaos and it is incredibly difficult in fact i'd go as far as saying it's almost impossible to be a resilient human being when you have a chaotic autonomic nervous system yeah um and so one of the first steps is about bringing balance to that Yeah. yeah so um what science might call homeostasis yeah, yeah, uh, and so um, that's finding ways to um, get out of that sympathetic autonomic mode that yeah. busyness of life and to to bring ourselves back into parasympathetic and and even to be balanced between the two and often the term that's used is you know that level of coherency
2: yeah
1: so one of the one of the easiest and most effective ways of doing that is simple things Carl, like breathing techniques yes uh, and, um, you know, the power of breathing. Uh, breathing can keep us stuck in that biological stress state yeah. or very
0: quickly it can remove us from being in a biological state called yeah. stress. That would have to be one of the most powerful physical tools, I think, is breath. Oh, it's, it's absolutely.
1: It's a tool I use all the time, and the beauty about it is that uh, you can use it anywhere, anytime. You <laughs> know? It doesn't matter because you're going to be breathing anyway, right? So <laughs> Hopefully. it doesn't matter.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, generally,
1: yeah. Uh, things, things aren't going too well if you're not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, look, it doesn't matter whether it's in a, in a, in a meeting, uh, whether it's serving a customer, uh, whether it's in a conversation at home with someone, uh, or, or whether you're driving the car, you can practice those breathing techniques, so you can engage in them. Yeah. Uh, so that would be an immediate thing that I think would be re- really, really useful for people. Yeah. And there's lots and lots of uh, literature and resources out there now to teach yourself how to do that stuff. Yeah. Uh, look, another thing would be learn ways to override this negativity bias. And what I say to people is the negativity bias will do two things in your life that aren't helpful uh, if you don't find ways to override it. And the beauty is that you can do things to override it. That's that's the beauty of it. Right. Um, so the two things it will do is, number one, it will – Destroy your dreams and goals in life because you'll always find the reasons why you can't. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: And then you'll get to that stage where potentially I was 13 years ago lying under that brick wall going, I wish I'd done the things that I wanted to do.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, And secondly, it will um, destroy your relationships in life. Yeah. And that's because uh, what you'll notice in your relationships, whether at work or at home, are the things that aren't working, the things that are going wrong. Uh, the things that people aren't doing as opposed to the things that are working, the things that are going right,
2: yeah
1: and you know, I see it all the time in organizations, mm-hmm. managers catching their people doing things wrong it's a It's a fundamentally flawed concept if yep. you want to really help people perform and reach their full potential and be hugely resilient, catch them doing things right, not wrong mm.
0: yeah that's great, I really, really like that. And
1: I see it in sports teams with coaches who focus primarily on where things are going wrong. It's a fundamentally flawed concept. We're not saying don't address the things that are going wrong, but it shouldn't be your number one focus. It shouldn't be your number number one focus. focus should be on the the things that are going right, the strengths. Yeah. Yeah. And so we can do that in our own life. Yeah. So one example might be, you know, start practicing things like three good things in your life. Every day, sit down and just write down or say out loud, what are three things that went well in your day today? And that can be really small things to really big things, from having a really great conversation with a colleague at work that was really cool, um, to seeing a beautiful sunset or a sunrise. Yeah. yeah. But, but what that does is enables us to focus on the, on the positive, the things that are working in our life, the things that are going well. And it it takes our focus away from the negative. Yeah. Uh, another really great way to do that is to focus on um, gratitude. You know uh, mm. It's a fantastic uh, exercise journaling or just talking about the things that you're grateful for in your life.
2: Yeah.
1: So again, and you know, you talked about your, your children and how we can help children be more resilient. This is this is a fantastic exercise for children as well. You know, because it, it does a number of things. But primarily, what it does. is it, Helps us focus on the things that we do have in our life, as opposed to the things that we don't have in our life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's creating the rise in anxiety and depression and all those mental illness stats right at the moment is Negativity bias. is that well, is comparison. You know, mm-hmm. we live in a world now of social media where it's very easy to compare ourselves against other people. What we don't have, mm-hmm. uh, what they have, what I want to have, and
2: we, we forget that. about the
1: things that we do have
0: in our yeah. life. You see that in the gym environment a lot. That's for sure.
2: Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah.
0: Well, that's one of the reasons why we created HealthFit. You know, it's um, you walk into, you know, a lot of bigger gyms and you see pictures of, you know, the perfect body and yeah. Um, yeah. You know, having the perfect life, yeah. you know, perceived yeah. perfect life. And you compare yourself to that and you feel terrible. <laughs>
2: so, <laughs> so, or you punish oh, yourself
0: what? in the gym, you smash yourself out because yeah. you want to look like that person and you yeah. hate every yeah. second of it. So, you develop yes. this, you know, big yeah, so negative relationship with movement you know that's a different (laughs) rant (laughs) so
1: then you go then you're going to pair that with negative emotions right exactly so that's not going to leave you feeling good about yourself so finding ways um and again they can just be small things that you're grateful for but um a really cool exercise is to you know on a on a daily or or um you know every second day basis write down three to five things that you're grateful for in your life and why you're grateful for them and the why i like that yeah yeah and um Again, you know, there's that saying, the grass is always greener on the other side. Yeah. And what I've come to learn in my life is that's not true. Hmm. Uh, and I have a reframe on that, and I believe the grass is always greener when you choose to water it. <laughs> yes. And um, by practicing gratitude and by focusing on the positive things in our life, we water our grass. Yeah. We make our own grass greener. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that that's, you yeah. know, basic things like that are really useful. Uh, look, um, work on um, – on challenging yourself uh, finding ways to voluntary challenge yourself that voluntary adversity
2: yeah
1: and um set yourself little goals around that you know it might be a like a 14 or a 21 day challenge yeah
2: um
1: and again that can be anything you know one of the things that uh for example that i've done is uh every now and then i'll go through a detox um so that's a form of voluntary adversity
0: no i totally agree We've got an eight-week challenge going at the moment at uh, Health Fit, and my my challenge every week is to find something uh, uncomfortable and immerse myself yeah. in it. So the first week it awesome. was cold water immersion. So I did a few plunges there off the uh, the wharf into the uh, <laughs> into the winter yeah. waters. And uh, this <laughs> yeah. week it's stillness, it's just practicing stillness. So putting time aside to to do nothing. Um, yes. which makes me feel very uncomfortable at first, but I'm actually starting to be comfortable there, so I have to find something else next week.
1: <laughs> well, that's right, you know, and so the more we practice that stuff, the more, so to speak, that that area of our life grows yeah. and broadens and deepens, and so, uh, you know, eventually something that was uncomfortable becomes comfortable.
2: Yeah.
1: And I, look, I really love the saying, I, I think it was uh, Gandhi that said it, and um, I can't remember it word for word, but along the lines of, you live in the middle of a circle that has no boundaries. That which defines your boundaries are your fears.
2: Mm.
1: And um, what we often do is we create our own comfort zone We create by, by creating fears in our life. Yeah. And um, what that limits us to is this tight little circle where we operate in, um, in this tight little circle of comfort. Yeah. And because that's the path of least resistance and what we know well, we struggle to get outside of that. Uh, the danger of that, of course, like so Carl, what we talked about is adversity is a given. Yeah. So um, when you do get taken out of that in an involuntary way, sometimes people don't have any mechanisms to be able to deal with it, and that's what we see today, right? Yeah. Yeah. That because people have been, well, and it's a generalisation. I don't want to say a particular area of people, but because some people have been wrapped in cotton wool yeah. and not not shown that. Um, now they don't have mechanisms in their life to deal with that involuntary adversity.
0: I like that. Now, Mel, um, if we could leave uh, all of the listeners with, you know, one idea, piece of uh, information, or even a tool uh, to become a more resilient and better self, you know, what would that be? Wow, that's a that's a huge question. It is. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, um, yeah, wow. It's like asking a
1: chocoholic to um, just recommend one chocolate, cup.
0: <laughs> what's it's the one, what, what's one, you know, if we look at one of the most effective ways to start the journey, perhaps?
1: Yeah, again, it's a, a really insightful question because it is about starting that. Mm. And I suspect my, many of your listeners have already started, you know, um, uh, and the fact that I think it's important to point out that people are already resilient. And um we're born resilient. Just like we're born to use an analogy that you'll understand, Carl, we're born with muscles, you know? Yeah. And um if I go to the gym and work those muscles out, I'll strengthen them and grow them.
2: Yeah.
1: And and if I don't, then those muscles will atrophy over time and they won't be there when I need them.
2: Yeah.
1: And resiliency is the same. You're born resilient, but we need to keep working on it. We need to keep working that muscle out so that in times when we need it it's there. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh Look, here's a really basic thing. I mean, there's so much I can do. It's
0: hard to limit it to one. <laughs> it sounds like you're not limited in, in the tool department, which is great.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: and that's our focus. You know, our focus
1: is on the pragmatics, on the practical applications. Okay, well, it's again, not I theory think.
0: then. It's not theory. It's practice, which is well, amazing. Everything that we
1: talk about is backed up by theory. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really important. You know, We, we use frameworks from psychology, um, positive psychology, neuroscience to inform us. Yeah. Uh, and so there's that credibility there, but, you know, a theory is only a theory. It's no use to anyone until you can actually apply it in your life. Agree. So um, here's, here's, here's a one you could do. R- write down a list of um, a column, two columns, and one hit it add positive or add positivity, and then the other column uh, hit it remove negativity. And then... Um, just brainstorm for yourself. What are all the things that you can do in your life on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis to add more positive experiences, and more positive emotions into your life? Mm. Uh, and you know, don't limit it. Just whatever that could be. That could be spending more time with the people you love. That could be uh, recreating more. That could be um, getting out and physically exercising. Uh, that could be beginning to practice gratitude or focusing on three positive things a day um, big or small write write a column of that uh, on the flip side to that think also about the things that might create negativity or or negative emotions in your life and and write down some of the things that you can do to remove negativity in your life and I'll give you an example for me if I can again really quickly just to help people kind of think about that Uh, one of the things that I chose to do about five years ago uh, to remove negativity was uh Um, I don't watch, listen, or read the news.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, So I have no desire to start my day or end my day or have any part of my day where I consciously and intentionally bring negativity into it.
2: Yeah.
1: And the reality is that the media understand the negativity bias so well and they play
2: with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: So I figure that in life that if something big enough happens, someone's going to tell me about it. And then if I really want to, I can go and look at it from there. But I don't feel the need to go and actively search that out in my life. So that's one thing that I've yeah. done to remove negativity. Uh, other things for listeners could be putting boundaries on things in life, yeah?
2: Mm.
1: So it could be boundaries on particular people. They could be boundaries on social media.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, they could be financial boundaries. They could be boundaries around alcohol that yeah. might move some negativity. I could Think see how, how that right would to a lot, yep. <laughs> Yep. So so write yourself a list, and then here's what you could do from there. Um, choose two to three of those things, and make like a 21-day day. commitment to yourself mm. to practice it in your life. Good work. And uh, allow yourself, of course, the opportunity to make mistakes on that. Yeah. But get yourself 21 days to practice those things. And um, it's almost like set it up for yourself as a voluntary challenge here. Yeah. It's a great way to bring voluntary challenge into your life. Yeah,
0: exactly. And I think that will play into the whole, um, you know, seeking adversity as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, So that's a real
1: simple exercise that people can do really immediately, and we know that that's an exercise that can have really profound effects on um, people's day-to-day, week-to-week experiences.
2: Brilliant.
0: Hey, Mel, um, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, you 've got so many so much wisdom to share so many great tools um and some fantastic examples i 'm um, sure the listeners will get a lot out of that so hopefully the pens and paper were loaded um ahead of this one because um yeah there 's a lot of take home notes and gold nuggets so um thank you again for for sharing that and, and coming on the podcast
1: oh, yeah. oh look it's a pleasure Carl, and I feel really honored and privileged actually that you've invited me to be a part of this i 've um, listened to a number of your podcasts and uh you have interviewed some pretty amazing people around the world uh, so um, who have an incredible amount of knowledge uh, and wisdom. And so to even be s- remotely connected or considered in that same group is a, is a huge, huge um, honour for me. So um, thanks very much, mate. And look, at the end of the day, listeners can take away one thing from this yeah. to help them live more fulfilling, resourceful lives. And that,
0: again, mate, can only be a really, really good thing, eh? I totally agree. And I think yeah. uh, I'll speak on behalf of everyone. You definitely fit the criteria for this show. So thanks again. Hi pleasure, Carlos. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.